Welcome back to Dance Planning. And no, your ears do not deceive you. You're not listening to the sultry tones of everyone's favourite Yorkshireman, Danny Lomas. You are instead stuck with me, Jordan Rayson. But don't worry, it's only for the next minute while I introduce this week's guest. Dan and I thought we needed a little break, so I'm currently sat by the beach. And Danny, I'm assuming, is sat in bed playing Minecraft. But don't worry, we're back in the studio next week with some amazing guests from the world of fashion. We've got designers, we've got models, and we've got those fashion insiders who really make the industry tick. This week's guest, however, is slightly different. We have a published author on. Callum Jacobs started his career like so many other people who've been on this podcast by working in fashion retail. But from there, he self-published his first magazine, Caracom. Off the back of the success of that magazine, he's worked with brands such as Nike, and most importantly, signed a book deal with Stormzy's imprint, Murky Books. Now, I could sit here and tell you how A New Formation is one of the most important books to come out, but believe me, smarter and more important people than me have said that, and we'll cover that in the podcast. So whether you love football or not, this is a really important one to listen to. Really hope you enjoy it, and don't worry, Dan and I are back together next week. So Danny. Hello. Callum. Hello. How do you two know each other? It's a weird one. I feel like I know Danny very well in a voyeuristic kind of stalkery way <laughs> because I wrote a magazine for PAQ and I had to watch a lot of Danny to get his voice. So when I wrote the interview of his friend, I could write it in his voice. So that's how I, and he would often be in the office and I'd look up and like, I know a, everything about you. Of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So did you, uh, did you have to do this for all the boys? Yes, I did, but I especially enjoyed doing it for you. How come? No, the Because he's on the podcast now. <laughs> no, just the most relatable character on PAQ, isn't it? Come on, I'll take that. And what, what do you remember at Callum? Like, obviously you met him then, but you've met him since a few times as well. You two would always big Cal up, and I was like, I swear, like, I don't think I've actually chatted to Cal properly outside of, like, doing that for a period years ago. You're like, no, no, you've definitely met him. And I was like, when? You're like, oh, maybe you haven't. And then first time I met you was in Protein, and it felt like we haven't not known each other. It was just straight away, yeah. So obviously you wrote that, the magazine, which we'll get to. There's also another magazine that you wrote that we'll get to that as well, as well as being a published author. I'll be honest with you, your journey didn't start there. We're going to go back to Selhurst Park. We're going to go back to the terraces. Okay. So how did you fall in love with football? I played a lot. I played in school. I played for my school team. Which I position? For I played right back. Nice. I was left back. I so. loved playing right back. I thought you were going to make a joke then about right back in the change room, left back behind a goal. No. I don't Boo. <laughs> <laughs> that joke. How did I fall in love with it? I don't have like a special answer, but obviously, as you mentioned in your question, Sellers Park is like 15 minutes from my house. So my dad used to take my brother and I to Wimbledon games and Palace games because they, oh, they shared a stadium. So yeah, we used to go. And then my older brother's a lifelong Palace fan. So I'd go with him when I was in like year seven and just be in the Homesdale and just going crazy as a 10 year old. Your brother was a Palace fan. You were going, you lived. 50 minutes from Palace you'd go to Palace all the time love it, love it, love it. and then you became an Arsenal fan <laughs> yeah this is different to the other podcast you've done which are very serious by the way I'm going to throw yeah, that yeah, out I I, do you know what but Palace are still my second team I mean I have been told by my dad that I'm not allowed to say I'm a Leeds fan I am an Oldham fan but I follow Leeds and Hull so I say I'm a Leeds fan but you got three teams <laughs> No, that's cool. Right. I believe, like, I, I'm not one of these people who's like, you have to have one team. I know people who support, like, Juventus. Yeah. Like, they're from here. I know people who support Everton, but they're not from from Liverpool. Like, I know an yeah. Everton fan who is from Portland. Oh, wow. And he has no connection, really. to. I don't know what his story is, but I don't even question it. I'm just yeah. like, yeah, he supports Everton. And he tries to get to games as much as he can. This is our first... We've touched on football in a couple of podcasts. Mm -hmm. This is our first one we've got a football expert on. Crazy. And we are going to talk about clothes because you are one of the most stylish men we know, yeah. for sure. But I think it's worth mentioning here that we played football the other night against throwing fits for Percival. And Danny banged in like nine goals. 
Um, you know, did no running, no sprinting. Went for a fag at half time and still banged in nine goals. Man of match performance. So anybody who's questioning like the football element of this podcast now, they, they, can, go look, they can go look at the score sheet. Of- I'm not surprised to learn that at all. I'm a great I, butcher. I, I don't know why. It's just like, of course. Isn't it? I'm left footed as well. So it's- you, you won, right? Obviously you scored nine. Uh, uh, no, we won. No, no, no. No, no teams. Oh, no one's keeping score. Yeah. So Jimmy and Larry were separate teams. Yeah. So Jimmy and on separate teams. And then Terry and Chris from Perth were on different teams. Um, and me and Danny were on different teams. And me, and Danny, me and Danny. Me and John were on different teams. Jordan floored me. Of course he did. And I laid on the floor. And then I just, I thought it was funny. We were being recorded. So I was like, I'm just going to lay here for a little bit. And then I saw the keeper with the ball. I was in space. Everyone was mid like, upfield. So I just got it. Got and then up. straight away, tapped it in. Fucking bang. That was my uh, little thing. I didn't realise how zoomed in the camera was. Otherwise, it could have been heroic. It was filmed. Make it out. They made like a video. We're, it we're was a big deal. Where's it going? It was Assumed. for a person. Is it going to be like a highlights package? Yeah, I'm going to do a show reel. Oh, an advert. Oh. Yeah, but you I mean, can get, like... get the raw footage and chop that up for all your goals. And just but it was filmed on a handy cam, so it's always like... scouted. Who was what, handy cam? So who was Max? Someone's... Did you know Max the Santos? Yeah. Yeah. There's so many names. <laughs> that's that's, yeah, that's, that's one guy. <laughs> so, Cal, you you're playing for it here a bit, people. but you're mainly supporting. <clears throat> yeah. And like, I think what's interesting about you is, you know, I took the piss. You know, you support Arsenal, but you weren't just following Prem back then, were you? Just won championship, man. Yeah. But you also Big Serie A fan. Serie A fan, yeah. yeah. As a kid, yeah. Oh. Who's your team? Palmer. Why? I supported Palmer because, so when I said earlier I liked playing right back, it was because Turan played right back for Palmer. And they had an amazing kit and they weren't part of like the establishment. They felt like an underdog and they had just an amazing team at that time. They had Gigi Buffon in goal, Turan, Calvaro, oh, Veron, um, Chiesa, who at that time was my favourite player. When you're a kid, yeah, the teams that you like and the players that you like, you like their names. Catuso. <laughs> yeah, they just, they have like crazy names. Like Diogo supports Chelsea right yeah our friend Diogo because they had like Tori Andre Flo like he just liked the names and when you're when you're that age those are the things you're, you're not looking at tactics you're not, you're not looking at shape you're not looking at how the manager is he using this player right you're just like I vibe with this kit and these players names and or this player's got like a special move in a way yeah like, the David Beckham was a player I love because he had like a special move an identifiable thing he did that other players couldn't do yeah so I liked him so I can imitate that like the free kick so you can imitate Beckham's free kicks. I was imitating Beckham. <laughs> Weren't you? I've Everyone been, I've, did. I think you were pinging it top corner every oh, time. Oh no, I pretty much was. <laughs> Why I are mean, you laughing, bro? Obviously, Beckham was like when I was very young. But when you get to the age where you can start doing stuff with a football you want to, rather than just fucking mm. chasing it and kicking it. Ours was Ronaldo starting to knuckleball it. Mm. So everyone at practice would fucking find the valve. You'd stick it down. You'd try and knuckle it. Some lads could do it. Everyone else was just absolutely dog shit. Just go over the fence and whatever. But it is stuff like that where it makes you want to do it. I had a massive Ronaldinho poster because he was just the God. I remember one little clip of him. God, I can't think of what the move was called. Was it the flip flap? I, I had a gif the of the flip flap. Yeah, everyone fun. tried that. And then it was also the one where he kind of, it comes in and he rolls it one leg and then back heels it. It's almost if it just comes out of play and it's just one little skill that he does. It's not even in the match. It's just, it's in the match, but the ball's out of play. Someone kicks it to him, flicks it up like on one leg and then just back heels it same leg. And it's just cool. And it's stuff like that where you just always remember it. Anyway, did you play any other sports growing up? Badminton. Sick. Badminton's sick. It's Badminton un- it's is underrated. Intense. It's very intense. I got to a very good level as well. That's the only other sport I played. I didn't really get into anything else. My dad tried to get me into cricket, Big West Indian. Obviously, I couldn't. It was boring. <laughs> uh, Did that break his heart a bit? Broke his heart, yeah. I still don't understand it. Still don't understand the rules. Really? Nah, do you understand the rules of cricket? Yeah, you're, I play cricket for years. You're a Yorkshireman what? here. Of yeah. course, yeah, yeah. I used to go to like cricket camps in school. What's Come going on? on? This is going to sound so stupid. You know what I mean? I'm not going to ask. Is it over when they bowl? Is that an over? It's six, six an over six balls, yeah. So, okay, so you 
get to bowl six times. Yeah, and, and then, then you'll like swap over, be next bowler in. He swaps. Oh, bowler swap. He swaps yeah, out. see, it's not just one bowler over and over again. They'll take it in times to do six. Um, anyway, sorry, yeah, you want to take us back on track. I, I want to take us back to fashion a little bit as well. Yeah. Because, you know, Cali, South London. Yeah, South through London, through. man. South London cut off from the fashion world for a long time. <laughs> cut off from anything. So no, what, what were you Bro, I was looking at a video of myself at, yeah, you know, you know my history well. So I'm not even going to bother to get into this. I was looking at myself. I don't know it. Basically, my boys and I did a grime DVD. This was back in the day. This Risky Roads. Back in the day. Inspired by that. Sick. So Crept went to my school. Yeah. And Conan is my friend's cousin. Yeah. He's like, he was at my friend's, like, he was at his wedding. My school was mad, man. Victor Moses went to my school as well. Mm. Stormzy was like, I wasn't in school at the same time as him, but it was a weird school. Anyway, we made a grime DVD and we did a white party. And yeah, the white party, Crept and Conan performed. And I'm in the crowd just like, gun fingers and just like, but I'm just like I look mad like I'm wearing a, I miss a white party but I'm wearing like a white cardigan I just look like trash but I was doing my thing and I thought I looked hard both yeah. ears pierced going in nice still got pierced the holes are there some people clock like oh you've got your ears pierced I'm like yeah, yeah, yeah. years ago like, okay. so where were you shopping then Boy, I'm not going to pretend I was the, but you know what? My, I was putting my fits together well. Yeah. Uniqlo, man. Flipping H&M. That was it. I mean, that's not bad. Like, just like calm fits. I want yeah. Calm you... H&M black jacket. Basically, it's the same as now, mm. but just che- cheaper. Yeah. cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> but but at, what, at what point did you... So we, we met each other, us, you, me and Matt actually all met working in retail stores. That's where life started for me. Well, that was what I was going to ask. At what point did you start really understanding fashion? I started developing my fashion sense when I started working in East London, basically. I worked in a box park. Before that, I'd worked in South in it. So my references are just like my boys trying to fit in with them. So I had the Gucci belt, you know, everyone bought it. So I was like 140 on a belt, didn't really have much money. I was wearing Jordans at that time. So it's a real Gucci belt? Yeah, it's a real Gucci belt, man. Mad. Everyone else bought fake ones. I was like, fuck it, I'm buying a real Where'd one. you get it from? Gucci store Gucci or? Gucci online, bro. The website. She no came, way. She came to my house. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I want, I want, you're wearing Jordan. Levi's, Jordan. I'm wearing Jordan Freeze. Nice. I'm wearing, I'm wearing Jordan Freeze, Levi jeans, Gucci belt. A lot of Levi's, man. Levi's. A lot of Levi jeans. What's on the lid? What's on the lid? Bruv, I used to go to, I used to spend my student loan on New Era hats every time uh, I touched. Biscuit fun. How do you know this? I, I've seen the grand videos, mate. That's crazy. Yeah, I used to go to the New Era store. I think it's still there on Berwick Street or uh, one, one of them They used to be on Carnaby, but before that, it wasn't on mm. Carnaby. I also used to go to, um, oh, this is going to be surprise, surprise. surprise. Do you remember Kingly Court? There was this, this store that did like cute, like graphic tees and shit. Do you remember the name of it? I feel like, pausing the podcast and looking for it <laughs> it's, it's big now it's still in Soho what Lazy Oaf that's it I still wear Bailos what really I swear so much Lazy Oaf you don't even understand oh, Lazy Oaf with the Gucci belt <laughs> who's fucking with me really that's the title who of the is fucking with me no one really sorry 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 I'm getting a bit amped who's fucking with me <laughs> yeah, no one mate no one's fucking with you no 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 Res- re- respect me putting it together okay so before we lose before we lose any listeners that we've got left you know who have sit through Bamford chat cricket chat football chat and now Lazy Oaf chat you started to develop that style. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think when we met you, we were like, oh, this guy dresses really well. You know, you know, it was of that era, you know, we were talking about Carhartt G-Lays, nice Uniqlo pieces, album, APC, stuff like that. When did your style start to develop a bit more? It was definitely through working at album with you guys. Matt put me onto a lot of stuff. This Matt Brown? Yeah, Matt Brown, for sure. Matt Brown, you yeah. are the uh, the catalyst for he many is, a fashion... Uh... He is, man. He is, he is. I yeah. remember, so I worked in a Soho store and at that point I was wearing I was a, a lot of album, but then mixing it into like, kind of like, you know, Soho style 
more of the stores around the area. Or like so Uniworks. Uniworks, getting folk. little scarves from there. Folk might have been getting anonymousism socks or... From YMC? I used to go to the Goodhood store when it was, yeah, basically around the corner. But what was the name? It's Hoxton like Square. Hoxton Square. And you yeah. go downstairs. Couldn't afford much, but I could afford... It wasn't even Rototo or anonymousism. It was a different type of sock. It was like a wool one. Then, yeah, came to work with you guys. And I remember going downstairs and chatting to Matt and he was like, do you like our legacy? <laughs> <laughs> this is your legacy, Matt Brown. This is Matt Brown's legacy. And I it love was how like, this is back to back with three bits as well. Pete, this is when I was like, oh, the shirt, like the tee and the shirt, so it can have like like a towely material as fabric. And now, like, I pretty much now, I'm accelerating the podcast a bit. I pretty much only wear, like, you go to brands that are tried and trusted and you know yeah. what you're going to get. So, like, my legwear mostly is from Our Legacy, heavier shirts, Our Legacy, and then pretty much everything else. Like, my basics are basically MHL. But I also, like, even now still, I'll look on Etsy and stuff and I'll still find little bits. Like, I'm still into... Like, lazy I've got, Off. Yeah, Lazy Off, obviously. <laughs> die Hard. I'm looking for their stuff from 2006. Yeah, I like Pendleton as well for quality. Sick. Holds up well. I've got a lot of... I've got a, I've got a lot Do of... Do you have a new cable? Not really. Was that just like not about or the price point? Like, I don't think it works on me. It's too, it's quite particular. I don't think it fits yeah. into what I wear. You need to really, it's like Rick Owens. You kind of mm. have to go all out and have that full. I mean, obviously there's some jackets you can kind of incorporate into the menswear side, but if you go full cable on, sick. Definitely works as a look. Like you have to live and breathe it. Sorry, without going too far back, you lot just mentioned like Album as if it's fucking nothing. Like what was the draw to Album? How did you go from South London to then everyone? To Vans. Yeah. Right. I did the whole retail tour. So I worked in Vans. Is this in Uh, Soho then? I worked in Vans in Stratford, man, in the Westfield. Oh. Can you believe? I mean, in the sense of like, because obviously Album's pretty cool. You wouldn't just really kind of get a job there for the sake of it. No, no. Again. Matt pushed my CV forward and I have no idea why because I, I like Vans made me redundant this is so I worked in the box park in Vans and I wanted to stay in East and then I applied for Alabama. Not, not I had never been to the store but I looked at the website and I was like oh this looks pretty cool everything's made in England everything looks nice it's quite clean so like, I could what, wear this what stuff. one word would you, would you uh, sum yeah. up Alabama with when you were looking at it what, what would you go look at go you want me to say white there you go <laughs> <laughs> fuck's sake very white bro <laughs> super white but that didn't deter me lots of things are very white and don't put me off. I mean, no, the staff are really diverse, but like as a brand, everyone yeah, goes, brand. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is white. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, they just hired me. I don't know why. I don't know why. That's how I got there. It was a really nice store. The quality of the clothes were really nice. Cuts were nice. Most of the styles were nice. Shirting was amazing. It the is, jeans were amazing. To me, albums like menswear. Yeah. Like it is just that kind of style. It's like a lot of like creams, navies, like forest greens kind of yeah, things. Like it's very, yeah, yeah, yeah it's like kind of very cocky. Exactly. It. That's it. And I just feel like it's very easy to wear. It's yeah. kind of a great step into getting good it quality is. for a very like reasonable price. It's not obviously cheap, but it's not going to blow the bank. It's not as if it's designer. But I think it's a great step, and I think it's understated as well. Exactly. It's a, a lot of people who shopped in, I think, were kind of I wouldn't say not very brave, but mm. that's okay because you can still get understated pieces, but they're standout. Like people can yeah. see the material of your jacket, or like you're wearing like um, a Milano wool vest or something like that. Like you do a lot of seersucker as well. It's I'm not beach pretty sure. Well, you know. Every now and again, a little bit of seersucker. When us three worked the album, an album, it wasn't just us three, there's other great people that worked there. Like, but we're the only ones that really matter. <laughs> Mark as well. And like, you know, Jamie's a painter. Like, Nigel, who's been brought up on the podcast before, he's got his own brand now. Tom makes shirts. Tom makes shirts. So lots of people doing amazing stuff there. And back in the day when it's independent, so Matt, Matt worked album there. Album is your priory for me, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Sick. 100%. And like, we had like really interesting people working there, and the clothes were amazing. And it then it got slightly bad, then it got good again, and then it got bought out. And that's pretty much it. And then when it got brought out, basically... By four? 
for marketing yeah, yeah. who own they're the same kind of sports director and everything like that and it kind of went downhill a bit but the problem is for me is when you work with something every day so Callum was still working there after I'd left yeah. and I'd go in and I'd be like oh, I really like this and he'd be like this is this all is trash, trash. <laughs> because I wasn't working with it every day yeah. I could appreciate it more you used to come and pick up stuff I couldn't yeah. believe it you, you were just like I'm out I'm, out, I'm never yeah. doing this again <laughs> like, I still wear album no I'm not wearing it I, I still wear album now I don't wear any album pieces I've got a couple of sweats that I wear like at home as at home wear which like as layering pieces. You know where you Milano? That was like your... I can't fit it anymore, bro. So back in the day, Amazing. it was very good, basically. Yeah. Is what Matt's trying yeah. to say. <laughs> it taught us a lot about clothes. Yeah, um, like I learned about like finishing like Corozo nut button. Like now I still buy, I still buy Riri Zips. I buy Riri Zips. I'll get a jacket. I'll yeah. get like an Add Some Cardigan. Add Some's another brand that I really yeah. know or obviously I like. I'll get a jacket, take that zip off it and put a Riri Zip on. No way. Like, two-way. Yeah, yeah. I'll just go to like a, a furnishing place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it to my take it to my tailor. You more than anyone, someone I know who basically lives by the thing of you can buy something and then you make get made for yourself. Yeah. Like you get everything like not customized, you get everything like tailored to you. But these days now I ha I do have stuff made for me, like more often than not. Like so like most of the hats I'm wearing, the hat I'm wearing today is Adsum, but I've got two other hats. One is like an Agora wool, one is mohair, and they're made by this maker called P Vava and she she's yeah. done stuff. If you go to her Instagram, you'll see it. She's made stuff for like wavy gums and she's done oh, yeah. bits for Lucy and Clark, you know, the Sick, yeah. skater. Oh, like, friend of ours. She can do pretty much anything. She she recently made me like this brown less creamy brown transitional kind of creamy. mohair vest. I wish I had a picture. Is this from I'd scratch say, or do you take from scratch, in from scratch? I I I know what I want in it and I'll be yeah. like these are the references. This yeah. is the shape. This is obviously this is what shape I am. This is what I want it to go with and then she'll go to the shop and be like these are the walls what do you think of these these Sick. these would work and then I get that and then she would make it for me and then like our friend Tom who we just mentioned earlier he makes shirts and so you can just pick your fabric that you want what kind of pocket do you want rounded squared off do you want like a curve that's it like, it's like bespoke tailoring but yeah. it's been a suit it's for everyday wear that's very oh. cool and take it back a second so obviously we've got here we've gone quite nerdy on the clothing you know we went quite, we went quite heavy on the football to start but I mean you're here as a football expert and because you like clothes but you are a writer. That's what you do by trade. Semi, yeah, semi by trade. No, Somehow. I mean, but, that's what I get paid for most. But here's the thing is like, like, how did you go on that journey? What made you a kid from South London? You know, you, dro you dropped out of uni. Like, too. what made you think like, I want to be a writer? Were you writing throughout this whole period? How did you get into it? What was like your first piece? That I can't remember, but I would say working in retail was my driver to want to write basically. Cause I was yeah. like, no disrespect to people that work in retail and, and, in, and enjoy it. Cause there are people like that, but it wasn't, yeah. that was not the case for me. And so I was like, okay, I can't do this. But I also don't just want to get a job that makes me feel better about myself because it's more respectable because I'm in an office. I actually want to do something that I enjoy, which yeah. seems like such an idealistic, fanciful kind of idea. But I was like, no, I'm going to do it. I don't know how, but I am. And then I started a blog and the blog consisted of mostly do you know what i started out writing like culture and music yeah like i started out writing like album reviews pretty album much reviews. yeah <laughs> yeah i would just i would just review the store every single day jordan's just being a pest today <laughs> google reviews under different names <laughs> i was writing them for no one i used to write like social commentary pieces yeah so like oh here's why you shouldn't beat your kids Honestly, <laughs> and then no, 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 you seriously stuff like that because it was all practice. I was like, I'm gonna challenge yeah. myself to write pieces that I don't usually write. Sick. I remember I went to um, San Francisco and I wrote about the homeless people there. Yeah, I was like, there's mad homeless 
people here. Let me do like kind of like intimate portraits of them, like right about, you know, first of all, like why are they in this position? What are the social reasons for it? What is the appetite to change it? And I'll just be talking to them. And so I did that. And then we went on like a wine. So my brother basically got it because my brother's a journalist. Well, yeah. He's an editor now at the time he was a journalist. So we got a trip out there. I promise this is going somewhere. We went on this like this like wine tour on this train. He was just getting press stuff. And then mm. I was on the train and I would just see stuff. Like I saw this couple like not talk to each other for the entire thing. So I wrote about that and I was like, oh, the dangers of your relationship going stale. I was just practicing stuff. Sick. But I was like looking for inspiration to write stuff all the time. I'd review restaurants that we went to in the hope that, oh, maybe one day I'll get the opportunity to do this for a magazine. The opportunity never came. So instead, I uh, created my own magazine. Nice. And that was, to be fair, I did that after working at Protein. I basically wrote a series of essays that were about football, but more about how... I find it difficult to explain what Caracom is because it's a football magazine, but it isn't really at the same time. Yeah. It's more using football to talk about... It's almost like, a, like an internet thing where it's like, if you're into football, you might also like this. And it's well, kind of the culture the, around... The way I always describe it, because obviously... Matt and I have always been a big, uh, big fans, and some of your biggest advertisers walking around telling everyone to buy right. is you know it's looking at the black experience but through the lens of football. Yeah, perfect. I don't know why I didn't say that. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I've taken that from you. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's completely true. It, it is that, and it was a me, a, me trying to be like you know black fans have a different perspective, and that's not widely shared. And at the time when I started the magazine, it was 2017. So you have to imagine this is before Black Lives Matter. This is before there's any emphasis on trying to get black voices into sports media and therefore the opportunities and the pitch to, to try and make people understand that just wasn't there. Yeah. Whereas now it's like, oh, it's necessary to hear different voices. Back then it was like, why would, like, why would... So there was, I wouldn't say there was resistance from media, but there was no willingness to, to kind of include yeah. those kind of perspectives. So I was really pushing against the grain and doing something that... I just still, I still don't think there's a magazine like it where it's like why entirely you, run. You know, why did you make it? Because I know what you just said is why you made it, but why did you make it? Do you know what I mean? Like, what point were you like, this is a magazine that needs to be made? What What was that spark? What What made you go like, what was that moment? Like, fuck, I know... You know, you're writing about a couple not talking, you're writing about food, you're writing about homeless people, you're writing about music reviews. What made you go, do you know what, actually, this is what I now need to, because you didn't make a magazine about any of those things, mm. you made it about this. Because I, I was being true to myself, really. It was like, again, so that goes back to my point, like, this does not exist. I'm no longer going to conform and try to write things that I think might work. Yeah. And that, I can see have been done. Like there's a template for that. Like if you do this, maybe you'll get a piece for Clash and then you write for Vox yeah. and then you'll go up and up and up. And I was like, but that doesn't speak to me as a person. Yeah. Intrinsically, I'm always going to come up with Caracom pieces. Yeah. You know? As you said, like that perspective, like the black perspective, like, and Jordan, I used to talk to Jordan a lot about players. Like I'd voice note him, like, you know, they don't appreciate Yaya Toure in this way or, you know, Sterling's getting this kind of treatment, blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, the best way for me to exercise these things is to write about them because yeah. I guess I had a feeling in the inkling that having spoken to Jordan, other people shared these views Yeah, and they're unrepresented. So it was like, I almost felt like a responsibility Sick. More than anything else, almost felt like. And when I was doing the magazine, there was a real sense of urgency. I was like, I have to get this out. Yeah. I have to get this out. Not because I feared someone else would, but just because I was like, people are starved of this. And that, you know, at the beginning, like I'm a football nerd. I listen to football. Pod I was listening to football podcasts on the way up here. I listened to like five of them. Sick. And if you're listening to all of them and you don't hear anyone that sounds like you at all, you're proper isolated. You're like walled off from it. You're listening to four guys talking and you're like, none of these guys share my perspective at all. It, it, it's just, it's infuriating, but also motivating. And I think that's why. Where did the name Caracom come from? 
you know what? Caracom, it, it actually it actually exists. So it was it was like a trading block in the Caribbean. Yeah. But now they don't really do anything with it. It just sounds great. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, it sounds it sounds like a really it sounds like it sounds quite it sounds also quite corporate in a way. Like, yeah. Caricom, I don't know, quite authoritative. It projects something. Sir. So obviously that's the origins of Caricom. And we want to get into its successes and what came next. But we have to wrap the past up with a question. What has been the most embarrassing outfit or trend you've been a part of? Oh, I had a Mohican. <laughs> oh! Do you think I'd, I'd rather I don't give a shit? When I went to my barbers, yeah, it was based on, so William Gallas had one. Do you remember oh, his? Oh, yeah. He had a relaxed one, though. His was yeah. super, super wet. Bloody hell, this is... Okay. Was he old okay. school Arsenal? Yeah, he is. God, he I is. remember him. I went to my barber and I was like, I want a Mohican. Just like, fade it, fade it, fade it, fade it to Mohican. My barber looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> Have you got a different barber now? Yeah, I do. Anyway, long story short, the next year, don't you remember this? Bare black guys had Mohicans. You must remember this. Well, Koji Radical said he had man. a Mohican. Who, who Koji did? Radical was on the podcast recently and he said, same thing, went, what's your worst thing? He went, I had a Mohican. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I relaxed mine as well. I put S-curl in it so I could spike it. Yeah. That was by far and away... I look at photos now and I'm like, what was I doing? And what were you wearing with this? H&M green kind of army fatigue jacket or dungarees. Oh. Dungarees with like the lazy oath tee. And I was wham. I was looking through photos earlier and like there's Slim Callum yeah. and there's Wham Callum. And that's where it's <laughs> yeah. and that, that's Kawam. Yeah. Kawam. Kawam. Yeah, so well thank you for answering that. Yeah, um that it's, it's gonna haunt my nightmares tonight. Right. Um <laughs> but what's great is you know, we go from that to being able to talk about like how a kid with a mohawk in fatigues Jimmy. went to make one of the most powerful magazines and then one of the most powerful books of this year. It was a success. It was like, you know, it, really you, was. it was all self-funded. It was self-produced between you and you worked with some good friends. You worked with people like Stuart and Sean to help visualise what you wanted to do and some photographers and people like yeah. that. Yeah. And I worked with a lot of friends. A lot of people contributed to it. And then we made it. We printed it. The response was really, really, really good. And after Caracom 1, did Caracom 2, expanded it, worked with Lewis Kahn, who's an amazing photographer, worked with Joya Musangi, who is an amazing painter, incredibly successful. He's even more successful now than they were that, at that point in time. And I suppose bringing those people on board was testament to how seriously it was taken and to how credible it was it was viewed as. How many did you print first time round compared first to like how much do you do now? Caracom 1 printed 300, they were sold. And Caracom 2 did like a thousand. Sick. I sold like 500 and then gave 500 to a distributor. Yeah. And that's how it got around the world. So it was in like Taiwan and Hong Sick. Kong. It was in like everywhere. It was in CHCM, which is the is boys last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the best store in New York. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shout, shout, shout out to Sweetu who runs that store. The first Caracom, you wrote the whole thing yourself. The whole thing. But the second one is when you start to move from like writer, editor, everything. Write the theme tune, sing the theme tune. Exactly. To you start commissioning writers. Yeah, so I commissioned. I love to Was collaborate. That for your I love to collaborate. Partly, yeah. Partly, and also because what I've done is I've Caracomified some of the media space. So a yeah. lot of people who wrote for Caracom 2 or who wrote for the wrote for the book have now written for the face or have had pieces Sick. extracted in the guardian and now they are people that brands and editorial can go to because the, yeah. they might come to me and be like callum do you want to do this and i'll be like no i don't want to but i have had someone who's written for me or for my publication which you rate and then they will employ that person so it's like getting people paid yeah and that was part of the plan it was like how can i increase the number of people with my perspective in this space in, in the carry complex formal way exactly exactly so you can sneak, i was going to do a thread on twitter when i was going to be like you probably haven't realized this but and like a lot of the work i do now for brands and stuff i will like 
the the piece I did previous to this, the one I'm working on now, I was like, I'll do it, but my inclusion is contingent on this person working, and that's yeah. someone who's worked on Caricom with me. So then I bring them in, and they get paid. Like sick, and that's what I've always liked to do. So with Caricom too, we did like a mental Caricom community. Guide. That's a really good one. Thank you. That's yeah, Caricom really needed work, but Caricom community. Caricom community is good. Yeah. So I've been doing that for a while, and I like I like the editing process. I like working with a person and working on their writing, and yeah, feeding them, feeding them information and references that are working their piece. Yeah, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that as much as I do writing really I guess for me personally I was on a YouTube show which has a direct comment section underneath it how do you kind of get the feedback when you have a published magazine do you know what so I did a magazine instead of a website people said to me oh, why don't you do a website you get more views did you go whatever. straight to print yeah I went straight to print never Sick. did anything and part of it was because I was worried about the pushback you'd get like you know like where's white history <clears throat> month Oh, them Christ. kind of comments but you know what I mean those kind of comments oh, yeah. the mobos what about the wobos you know? <laughs> well, no what about the mowos or whatever you know yeah yeah and so the feedback I got I guess was more organic and genuine like actually seeing people about people would obviously post it um, when they bought it but I would get messages from people like heartfelt stuff like one of the pieces in Caricom 2 was written by Moose Rokwongo who's like a big writer in his own right people should check him out yeah and he wrote about the experience of being a bisexual player and playing for Stonewall and how it really saved his life the this is actually called How Stonewall Saved My Life and got a lot of members of the LGBTQ community being like, thank you for commissioning this piece. Brilliant. Like that's the feedback right there. And then yeah. obviously you go into a shop, I'd go into a shop and pretend like I'd go like into the photographer's gallery or to, into the ICA and be like, have you got this magazine? And they'd be like, no, we don't have it anymore. And they'd be like, oh, it's sold out. So I'd know like obviously Sick. people are buying this magazine. So. I, mean, I remember I, I bought the last copy in on Broadway Market, you know, and I remember that made me feel really happy. And I remember going to a place and I'd text and be like, oh, it's not here, like. Yeah, 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 exactly. That, and that's and that and that's uh, that feels like a more genuine form of feedback, like more yeah. tangible. So you talked about like representation, and we all know like it's you know it's good to talk about representation, but like I think there's a difference. Sorry, there's a difference between visibility and representation. I suppose one of the things is you know we have visibility of black people in sports via say ex pundits on. I know there's not loads, but but then actually more like, now than there were like but five years ago. Black sports writers or you know sports writers from uh, non-white sports writers. What is that? How big is that sort of group? It's tiny. If you look across, I mean. The fact of the matter is I could name you some. I could start saying names now, but there's a point where I would stop because there is no more. Right. And yeah, so it's it's tiny. I don't know what the statistics are. I, so I don't want to start saying numbers. As a percentage, it's it's it's, it's infinitesimally small. Obviously, there are schemes out there aimed to aimed at rather dressing it, but a lot of it, like in a lot of these things, it, it feels quite inherent. And I suppose, I mean, we're going to get onto the book, I suppose. Yeah. But with a new formation, what I tried to do was I tried to seek it out. So rather than saying like, oh, apply to this scheme, a lot of the schemes out there, I wouldn't have applied to when I was younger because I would feel like I'm not, I'm probably not going to make it, like whatever, even though it's aimed at me. So what I did is like, I would find people's, their blogs and stuff like that. Or there was a blog called Media Diversified that had writers on it. And I just read pretty much all of it. And I just take the name of the writer and then go to their Twitter, see if they had like a medium and stuff like that. So you really have to like work, yeah. And really, really search. But in order to do that, you have you have to care and almost have like um like a personal investment, yeah. In it, um, it's not just put in front of you. You really yeah, have to dig for it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Was there like any moments there apart from like the numbers of like units you were selling? Was there like a cosign that you were like, oh shit, this is a thing? For Caricom, I'm not gonna lie. 
it was it was doing stuff with Nike because you got to remember I'm just one person. People were like, oh, you know, people people often assume Caricom is a team. Blah blah yeah. blah. It's me and friends helping out as and when they can. Yeah. So I think getting involved doing projects with Nike. That was when I was like, okay, I must be doing something integral. I must be doing something. Because with brands like that, what they're trying to, what they're seeking to do is like authenticate what they're doing. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm that, I'm that person. And if I play this right. What was you doing with Nike? First thing I did with Nike, they did a project called the White Shirt Project. And they took, they took, an, they took the 2018, I think, England kit. They asked people to design, to redesign it and like put their community imprint on it. And Sean Sawyers and I, Sean Sawyers who helped design Caracom 1 and 2, did the, the design on the back of Jordan's t-shirt, which is, it's like, so it's a chronological list of the impact black players have made, but underneath it, you've got the coordinates where that event happened. So if you type uh-huh. those coordinates in, you get the stadium, they score the goal. If I, if I was doing it again, it'd probably be like a QR code and then I'd take you to a microsite where the goal Sick. was and stuff like that. But at the time, that's what I did. And then and then I just stayed on their radar and then I was involved in like the England kit launch and little things like that, you realise, oh, okay, I must be making an impact. Yeah. You know, because they, they can't platform people who aren't going to help them in any way. Well, when you say you were involved in the kit launch, England kit launch, yeah. let's be honest here, you took it back a little bit because you modelled for the England kit launch. Yeah, I did, yeah, which is mad, which is not, that's, that's, that's not your first modelling job either. Are you going to, what, you, what, what you, you've done some modelling in the past. So here you go, uh, I've seen you wearing Gucci from Flannels uh, for the Financial Times. Oh, was it? I, listen, I don't know. I don't know. I think it was, it was Forever Sport. It was a magazine. Forever Sport. Forever Sport. And I did their winter knit edition. And you've modelled for Barracuda. Yeah, um, do you know what? Now that you mention it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're not just a big brain. You're also a pretty, fa- uh, pretty face. And uh, that brand? Hollywood as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've done, I've done a bit. Yeah. I've done a bit, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually supposed to be in a McDonald's advert as well. This was years ago, though. You know when, like, they, there was, like, a scout just, like, going around. This is, again, when I worked at Vans. Yeah. In the box park. And I was walk- I came out. Box park in the Vans. Was, yeah. Yeah. Box park inside the Vans. And he was like, just casting people and stuff. And, but I couldn't do the day he wanted me to do, but that would have been fun. Yeah. What Were you I loving say? it? I, I wasn't actually. Sorry. <laughs> Terrible. Okay. So you've done Caricom 1. Caricom 2 comes out. What's amazing about Caricom 2 is you do a pullout as well. So it's not just about football. You talk about men's mental health. First pullout was a black male mental health guide, uh, which I got someone else to write, going back to commissioning people. What, what is a pullout? You pull it, was, out it, it wasn't then? even a pullout. It yeah. was like, it was, it was his own. But it's like the mini kind of zine that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. Okay, so then, <laughs> talk about no beef, we're going to be on to Murky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> another party came involved, Murky and Penguin. So you got a book deal. Did you yeah. search out? Did they approach you? After Caricom 2 came out, an editor from Penguin Random House reached out to me and he was like, do you want to go, do you want to have a meeting? Let's chat. Like I've bought Caricom. I think he bought it in Magma. He was like, yeah, I've got this magazine. It's really, really good. Do you want to have a chat? I basically wrote a really long piece in the middle of it. It's like 10,000 words. He was like, do you want to have a chat? Let's reach out. We had a couple of meetings. Over like four meetings, he convinced me to work up a proposal. I wasn't thinking to write a book. At that point, I was like, I'll probably just get a job at Nike as a brand specialist or something like yeah. that. Like I'll flip this into something like that. Some security. Wrote the proposal. They have to get it cleared by loads of different people. They have to get it cleared by like the MD and there's other people that they, they pitch it at a meeting because you're going to put money into it. So yeah. they stand up and or I don't, I don't know if they fucking stand up, but he's like, oh, I've got this idea. And then everyone has to say yes to it. And is this a right. penguin or murky? Because murky's an imprint so of, murky, so murky is Stormzy's murky, book. Yeah, got yeah. It. Murky is a subsidiary. It's like, you know, when like UMG will have like a labels under it. So Stormzy's thing is that basically. So I basically deal with Penguin Random House at this point. In that meeting would be like, I don't know. Cause like sometimes I'm, I don't know. I see stuff and it's like, oh, you're signed to Cornerstone or whatever. But he said he wants to work with you and you then have to go work with a proposal. Yeah. My proposal was like. Did they talk Caricom 3? You know, you're 
a young black writer writing about quite an important thing that isn't covered a lot, yeah? Now, here's my question for you, and it's quite a cynical way of looking at something, and I think because you're talking about music industries. Were they there to empower you fully, or did they kind of want to go, we've got the young black writer? I feel like in any, like... At, at any workplace, there are people... And with Murky, you've got Murky Brand, which is Stormzy's thing, like music, more music-oriented. And then you've got publishing, and publishing is stayed, it's archaic, it's resistant to change, it doesn't like disruption, it works in old channels, there are processes and, and things, the way things work, they do it their way. So he hasn't modernised that? Because uh, I noticed it's an imprint. Here's the thing, they want to do that. Okay. They wanted to do that. So I remember talking to, uh, she's left now, but she used to work in brand, right? She was like brand partnerships at Murky Publishing. And I remember her saying to me, like Murky Brand have asked publishing, why can't we drop a book like an album out of nowhere? Do you know what I mean? Like disruptive, like bow, like, oh, it's yeah. just appeared. And they were like, because you have to do this and you have to copy edit it and you have to print it and you have to clear it. So the two, the two things don't match. I think they've got a better understanding now. But when I joined, it felt like the relationship had just started. I'm sure if anyone listens to it, they would agree with this. They were working each other out, yeah? And I came at that point and then the editor who signed my book left. So it's imagine it's like you've been signed by one manager, like Tuchel signed you at Chelsea Sterling. and then he's gone, yeah? Basically, or there's like even better examples than that, but well, you know what I'm Potter, saying. Potter's playing in right wing back. Yeah, yeah, basically. So that was my situation. It was a difficult one. It was a difficult one. Writing a book is difficult in any circumstance. I wrote the book during the pandemic. Obviously, as I said, the person who signed it had left. It was tricky. And what I would say is the book that you read, if you do buy it and you do read it, has done very, very well. It's been received critically amazingly well, like beyond... I believe beyond mer what Murky expected because obviously they've got a lot of books coming out. Do you have your numbers? You yeah, I've got my numbers. Got numbers. Okay, thousands. Is thousands. it? It's thousands, bro. Sick. And I, the thing is, what I, will, what I will say now, and we'll go into this further, but I think it's a good like, segue to talk about it, is like, I own the book, right? I pre-ordered it. You can pre-order it. Well, you can buy it from independent booksellers and it's amazing, firstly. It's, what's great about it is it, I took it on holiday and I was like, this is not a holiday read. It's quite a challenging read. You know, you, you need to engage your brain. But if anybody wants to get like a little taster of it, I remember how excited I was about this. I remember like, you know, screenshot, put my Instagram, send it to you. Is The Guardian did one of their long reads on a piece around South London and Crystal Palace. And who was that written by? Nifiok Ekpadom. And it is absolutely amazing. It's staggering. It's good. so, so good. So if you want a little taster, you know, before you, before you like lie in this man's pockets. <laughs> Another thing to add, yeah, as an author, you will never make any money on your book unless you're a Hilary Mantle or Mallory Blackman or a big, big, big author. All right, I'll break it down. So you get the advance, yeah? The advance you get as a first time author, I would have made, sorry, the, the advance you get, I would have made doing like freelance, like the brand stuff I do now, I would have made like five times what I made on that advance in a year if I'd have just worked you're doing two years of writing a book editing a book on the advance so just just so everyone knows like nobody makes money on their book yeah you, what you make money on is oh now you're somebody if it does well so yeah. it's, 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 it's not the residuals of the book it's the residuals no. of the effects of the book you know it's like a record or you have to clear your advance once you've cleared it in terms of sales then you make 10% of the cover price so unless you're no. Bernadine Evaristo or fucking okay let, let's change that then buy the book that's fine but then if you work for a brand hire this man to come in and actually you know like le, le, like level the playing field yeah, yeah. nice that's a, a good little football pun cheers there. mate thank you when Cal was out of the room we had a little toilet break me and John did say we're going to squeeze as many football puns in as we can nice so Cal like I want everyone to go and read this piece on the Guardian 
it's amazing but can you please just like break us down you know some of the highlights i remember speaking to you during the pandemic and you're not pitching me but telling me the ideas that you've been pitching and i was so blown away i was like how how you can get these people so you know you interviewed ian Wright. oh yeah yeah well, well, no, sorry, the book can features. we let's just let's just keep, let's just keep it real let's let me just keep on keeping it real is that okay yeah. so the initial idea of the proposal was i'm going to explore these themes these topics these ideas using these players so let's explore let's explore migration into south london identity and the prototypical south london player by speaking to wilfred zahar let's talk yeah. about mental health and something called afro pessimism which is this concept of like black people like losing faith and hope in the west because it's just so peak to be black in the west basically let's explore yeah. that through danny rose because he came out and said i want to leave football i don't want to coach let's explore all these themes using a player as an avatar as a window as a portal to do these things but you need to speak to the player and blah, 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 go back and forth what happened is most of the players didn't want to talk yeah and anyone who's listened to this who's works with with players or works with players it's fair to say they're not really keen to do too much like yeah they're, they're, they're just not but in the end i spoke to andy cole which was sick during the pandemic I spoke to him for like two hours you had a big connection we had like yeah we had a big connection because our parents came from the West Indies just I just like I've always admired him as a player and wanted people to appreciate him more but he really opened up to me about you know his career why he was perceived as negatively as he was why he was underrated his relationship with his father I have a close had a close relationship with my dad he has a close relationship with his dad so we bonded over that but with Andy Cole so what, what is that they're not chapters they're essays yeah they're essays what yeah. is that essay about the way you pitch it is so Andy Cole I'm just like this is what I want to talk about these are the themes I want to explore and obviously you know here are the questions and the final piece will aim to do this and position you like this yeah but that That's changed did. That, that, did that change as you interviewed him because I remember the original Andy Cole was about taking Dwight it was about him and Dwight York that's in there but that, no, but that, that, was, that, that was, was the, the main thing yeah it, so that, it, that was that the piece yeah during it the did. interview process or in the like research process interview process because I went in thinking we're just going to talk about your relationship to Dwight York and what that meant and he started talking about his dad and his parents and his childhood and how that shaped him and then so the Dwight York stuff came in there, but it's, it is predominantly about the socio-cultural context into which Andy Cole was born is why he is the way he is and why he didn't take shit. Basically, yeah. and that's the piece and that's the essay. And then Ian Wright? The Ian Wright piece. So is that a hero of yours? You're an Arsenal fan? Yeah, Arsenal fan, but obviously at Palace as well. Yeah. So from, I don't know, I associate him more with Palace. I know that sounds weird. I do He's though. Like first memories kind of. I associate more with West Ham, mate. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, I think every fan kind of has that. I'm associated um, with football bloopers. <laughs> The Ian Wright piece is you like you commissioned someone to write that. I commissioned, yeah, Thomas Theodore to do that. So with this book, initially the proposal, they wanted me to write everything. But again, going back to the original thing, I was like, let me get people who relate to each player because I believe in that. Like I've always yeah. said, relatability. If you put someone from where that person's from in front of the person, you're going to get more. You're going to extract more, of and course. then you'll get a more accurate depiction, representation of that player. You're not just getting a media train down the street. Exactly. Like a deep connection. Thank you. Exactly. And that that doesn't just go for like black players like if you were going to send one to go and interview you're going to send someone to go and interview Gerard like send a scouser or something like that you yeah. know like it cuts across those lines of relatability and Thomas Fiedel who I commissioned to do that he grew up in North London his family's lived in North London I think pretty much his, his well yeah he's lived in London his whole life and his family are like in the area and he's an Arsenal lifelong Arsenal fan who's you know watched Ian Wright closely for years and blah yeah. blah, blah blah so I sent him to do that but with the Ian Wright essay yeah we, we kind of everyone knows Ian Wright's story like everyone knows his story we know like he's cut he became pro very late he was yeah. at Palace and Arsenal and now he's like he's he is a legend in so many fields he's a unicorn in that like he's incredibly talented of course Ian Wright like as a presenter everything so we, we kind of want to talk about his career post football because no one talks about that 
And yeah, how he became this amazing presenter, how he took on life after football, what that transition was like. Because he was he was a TV presenter. He had his own show. Like yeah. all this all this this richness, all this story that isn't that isn't out there. But yeah, as as you said at the start, Jordan, like each essay was supposed to tap into a specific theme and each essay did still do that but we just had to change it well, i guess one thing i did want to ask with football you'd usually associate it with the kind of casual era the football hooligan brands such as stone allen cp etc etc what do you wear when you go to a football match i went to arsenal villa and i wore sounds like a great holiday resort <laughs> <laughs> you're dickhead thank you idiot man <laughs> And what did I wear? I don't wear jerseys. For yeah. some reason, I've, I've never really worn jerseys. Did you ever collect them or just don't wear them? I've like? never collected jerseys. Yeah. Ever. I think because it's like quite an expense. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I've, I had like fake shirts when I was a kid. Yeah. And there's something to be said about those fake shirts. Some of them were fine. I had like a fake Cliver kit, fake Holland. Is it like, bootleg or just Venice. fakes of the real ones? Bootleg. Like, yeah. Yeah, like a, like, like a bootleg from like a tourist store in Venice. I had a Barcelona one. And I loved it. And then I was trying to find it. And it turns out it was a bootleg one. Someone just mm. made a Barcelona jersey or they reimagined one how they'd like it. But like fandom is about that. You know, we were saying earlier, like, I don't care if people support more than one team or support a team not associated with them. It's how you interpret football. Like, so there's a subculture of bootleg kits and they're yeah. sick because they're fat. They're like almost like fan fiction. Like yeah. here's, here's how I would interpret this kit. I love this team so much. I'm going to make a fake. It's got a fake sponsor. I like the number. It's their interpretation. Do you actually want to know what I wore to the last match? Is yeah, that, that a legit question? I wore, I wore like, um, I wore an MHL zip up jacket which I changed the zip on. Nice. <laughs> to, the, to the brass re-re, so it's a, so a two-way. So when I sit down, I can zip, unzip it upwards. So obviously, like, you have a lot of clothes. Like, how big is your wardrobe, would you not, say? Not that big. Not that big? Are if you... I don't wear it, I sell it or give it away. And then I've got a Beams cardigan that I don't wear. So I'm, yeah. get, I'm getting rid of that. Where, I, it's where, one, it's where one in, one out. buy your exes? My, what, my ex-goms? Yeah. Message me, Instagram. That's it. DM Callum if you want some... I was, you know what? I was thinking about this. Should I put stuff on eBay? But I don't want people to think I'm broke because I'm really not. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, sorry. I, I was going to put something in my in, in my Instagram story. Like, oh, 50 or nearest offer. And I'm like, but I could, don't, don't need to do that. Do really. a pop or something. So I was also thinking, like, what's the, what's the end goal then? Like, is it always evolving or is it like, I just want a fully custom wardrobe? Or do you, do you ever keep hold of sentimental pieces? I've got my Milano. I've still got the Milano <laughs> from my nice. album. I've still got, I don't fit into it. There are some pieces that I've just like kept because I'm like, a lot of the time now, I think like when I'm an old man, how am I, I'm going to probably dress the same when I'm an old man. And yeah. I think it's still going to work. It's a very that's timeless where, style. That's where I am now. I feel like it's just adding and taking away to like a core kind of look and that's my look yeah. kind of stylish uni lecturer <laughs> <laughs> do you sell your glasses oh hell no i've no. got like yeah i've got like i don't know maybe not that many to be i've got like 12 pairs but they're all nice yeah i thought like we we're about to get an answer for uh, our next question well i was gonna say yeah usually with our guests we say if your house was on fire and you could save one item of clothing from your wardrobe oh, it's the milano what would it be and why it's the milano. the milano it's the milano or a pair of like universal products trousers that i got in south korea in seoul from this this uh this shop called manhattan's project which is closed now and they had it was insane yeah it was insane like the brands they have because you're like you're in asia innit? so they're getting stuff from japan and south korea and it's all there yeah and like the trousers i got from there i just i'm never gonna find them again can you describe them they're like wide leg brown they look like they're made of like oh, i can't even describe it's difficult to describe that they're wide leg they've got like four pockets up top but like so you've got like slant pockets and then in the slant pockets you put hands in there's a zip at the top and there's more pocket behind the pocket if oh, you yeah. know what i mean yeah, yeah. and then two back pockets and then like an adjuster belt so you can like 
tie it, but then the belt goes into belt hooks. Yeah. They're wide leg, a medium kind of brown, and then like, how to describe the texture of them? Kind of like, I don't know, like, I feel like I, I want to say flax, even though I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> I have no idea. This is like you creating the glasses. Like we, don't, we don't really know what <laughs> yeah, you're talking yeah. about. You say, I make you a say, milky. Say yeah, and, so I want them and, cappuccino coloured. And Bro, you know what? Let's go to the IG and you tell me what colour this is in it. Sick. So yeah, so you well, well would not a pair of glasses not being that uh sorry. I mean that was that was no, clothing. I can make the glasses again just from showing a picture to this. Okay, nice. I like that. I like that. Cool. But what would be one pair of glasses that you would save? Would it be these? Would these, it be ones that took the longest? These, these, so these. So not the first customs. No, nah, look at these, bro. I mean, I'm in front of you, but look at that, man. Sick. Shit. Yeah. Um, so Kevin's coming to go his, his IG up, showing his pictures of himself. Of myself, bro. <laughs> the glasses were in now. Oh, wow. Sick. What, what is that? What's that style of the... It's like, it's not herringbone. What is I was it? Gonna say, I was going to say herringbone, but maybe not quite. Look, look at the look at the way they drop on my shoes, yeah, it's, man. It's, not her it's almost like a really wide herringbone. Almost straight from a distance. Yeah, yeah. And that's the Pendleton top I got from Etsy like years ago that I've Sick. just had for years now. It just still stands up like it's just classic. Yeah, those trousers are incredible. So you're saving your wide leg trousers. And the Milano. And, and that's the Milano. It. Perfect. I love that. You're already wearing the glasses. Why you not getting out of the house? Everything <laughs> else can go up in flames. <laughs> Perfect. I'm jumping out the window. Where's the window? I can see the window from my bed. Come on. All right. Sorry. I didn't mean to offend. Um, <laughs> I'm not blind. But <laughs> I'm legally blind. Barely. Hold it down, P.O.P. <laughs> Uh, have you heard the one about the, the blind man who um, he, he walks into a pub and starts swinging this dog around like fucking everyone's asking he's like what the fuck are you doing he's like I'm just taking a look around <laughs> I don't get it <laughs> I don't get it got a guy dog and he's swinging it around it's terrible it's terrible look guys uh, I wanted to put in my other joke as well we're on about Sol Campbell no, it's, it's too long it's too long no, it's, it's, my it's, it's, it's too long I'm going to tell it no anyway. no no because we can't oh my it's, god it's what I said in my podcast right also I missed the opportunity what about Emil Heskey and uh, one of my favourite drinks of all time involves Emil Heskey. Sven Goran Eriksson walks into the Lincoln changing room and he smells his smell. He's like, oh, what the fuck is that? Anyway, he looks around and there's a big poo on the floor in the showers. So he goes, right, boys, get around here. Everyone comes in, he's like, you're right, boss. What was wrong? He says, right, who shit on the floor? Everyone looks around sheepishly. Emil Heskey puts his hand up and says, me, boss, but I'm all right in the air. <laughs> it, it, it works, but also not because he's, he's good. He's good. Tough crowd. So look. <laughs> you, know, you, listen, you wanted to tell it. I, I did, yeah. So I've got one about David Beckham as well doing fine. a speech. Save so, that one for after. So usually we talk about like the future of fashion and like, how their career lines up with that. But you know, you're doing amazing stuff and you know, you work with Nike and that's, I think that's going to keep expanding that relationship. But you also done a thing called the Island, which is rolling out currently. And can, what, what is the island? Is that, it, that's a thing off Caracom. You made kits from that. You made postcards. You made whistles. What is it? Yes, mad. Made a lot. The island is a... Why did you say that, that island boy? The then? island the is... Island <laughs> the island is a... Sorry. The, the island is... It's a... How the fuck do I describe this thing, bruv? I can't describe my okay, own so, shit. Okay, it's just pissing me off. It's pissing man off. Listen to this, cow. <laughs> now South London's coming out. <laughs> the island is a piece of transmedia storytelling where you use different formats of media. Sick, this, bro. <laughs> I pitched my stuff to bro, bruv. Where you basically create a universe and you tell that universal story through different mediums. So you tell it through, through Instagram videos, you tell it through audiobooks, you tell it through postcards, you tell it through zines. And it basically t tells the story of these people that live on this island. And for example, you made a shirt and all the sponsors on the shirt are different fictitious sponsors from the island, yeah? Yes. And that's made with Nike, in collaboration <laughs> with Nike. Yes. 
and it's really great. Yes. And that's going to keep on rolling out. And people can just find that through Caracom. Yes. This is recorded. You can just transcript this, <laughs> this if you want. Great. It's your press release. This is incredible. <laughs> and then, no, yeah, you've nailed it. And then Nike, what are you doing outside that? Because as you said, you can, you probably, you make more money working with brands directly. <laughs> yeah. uh, so keep coming to him firstly. But what are you working with them at the moment? I can't really talk about it, but like a few really exciting things. The the last thing I did for them that actually came out was um, they did something called uh, the Future Ford Festival. And I programmed a talk between Alice Deering, who's a swimmer, Dina Asher-Smith and Colin Kaepernick. And that's Sick. the last thing I did. And yeah, I'm, I'm doing a lot of like, I suppose like cultural stuff with them in that space, um, helping them develop ideas or, or shape ideas that they have and pull it more into the direction that they that they want to take it. And that's what I'm kind of working with, a lot with their purpose team who are like a lot of good people in there. Look, the big question everyone's got, I say everyone, mainly me, is there going to be like a Caracom Free or is, that, is there different iterations of it? Well, Caracom Free is the island. Hence the free on the back of the jersey. Got yeah. So, you know, it's confusing. A lot of people have kind of been like, you know, where's the next issue and stuff? And I'm like, well, to be fair, I did the book is there. Like, if you're looking for something that you want to read, like you're familiar with Caracom, read the book. Like, if that's what you're, you're, you're into, because that really is Caracom, but just in a book form. Yeah. So, like, longer than the magazine would have been, more contributors, footballers in it. Like, it's bigger. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of established in that way. But, yeah, the island is Caracom-free. Yeah, as you put it so so brilliantly, it is like digital storytelling, different modes of building out that world. It's world building as well, I suppose. So yeah, that's all that mixed in. And like, I sp- oh, you're gonna ask me like, what's next? I, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep on expanding the island for sure. People who obviously are unaware of it, a lot of people were massive fans of the jersey, which obviously I designed in collaboration with a lot of good designers. Helped me bring that to life, and I want to do another one, probably probably different sponsors different color maybe different fabric maybe different finishes with caracom now i want to keep on making stuff i think with writing i'll just probably do like another book try to do another book so you got another book in here yeah yeah for sure for sure i was just thinking like i feel like yeah now that you've released the first book and and the the response that you've had maybe it's not like too invisible to get people like sterling it maybe not because i think what it is is now people have trust Yes, you know, exactly. Because you'll look at it and you'll be like, okay, we know what this guy does. He's not going to misrepresent anyone. He's His intentions are clear. He's got... He's got great glasses. He's got great glasses. Yeah. I wish, if they'd have seen my glasses, maybe most of the athletes would have spoke, spoke to me first time. But yeah, no, I, f- <laughs> I feel like I feel like, like the football writing world has always been quite kind to me. And now, obviously, you get someone like Ian Wright saying nice things. You get someone yeah. like Jonathan Lewis saying nice things. You get The Observer. You get GQ and, and, and these things. There is a utility to that. And that is, okay, he can do it again. And yeah. I know I can. Because I did this, as I said, during a pandemic, yeah, under sure. not the most ideal circumstances with my publisher for that period of time. Like everyone struggled during the, the pandemic. So if I get, you know, support and, you know, a bit of backing, then I'm sure I can do another book. So, yeah, no, I've got another book in me for sure. And I, I, I want to try and build up something in the near future. Not going to say when, because then that invites pressure. No, but um, in terms of Caricom, no, for me, it's just about having fun, like just doing what I want. Like everything with the island is like, oh, I want to 3D print a referee's whistle. Okay, I'm going to do it then. I want to make like a lanyard rope to go on the referee's whistle. Okay, I'm going to do it then. I want to make a jersey with these sponsors. Yeah, fine, I'll do it then. Like, why not? You know, and that's yeah. and that and that's the space that Caricom's going to occupy for me in the future. So obviously with the island being quite fictitious, this is a fashion podcast. Entirely fictitious. Entirely fictitious. Yeah. Theoretically, the metaverse. Yeah. That is also quite fictitious. So Meta. theoretically, what would be your fit in the metaverse rest of your life basically dream i have to wear this shit for the rest of my life 
I mean, it's dream fit. It's like you don't. Callum, you wore the same stuff for the last ten years, mate. I don't oh, no. oh, so check it out. So, like, so, so this is like a like a Black Mirror dystopian. I'm trapped in there. My I mean, human body is outside, incapacitated, and I am forever trapped in the sure, metaverse. I can't I mean, get out. In reality, we've just meant I'm it. I'm screaming like, it... into the void, and it's just like Fortnite skin people around me, and <laughs> yeah. I'm in a fucking Gucci. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I do wear in that case, Fortnite. I'm gonna be in like a like a Prada suit or something, you know. Little skinny suit. Little skinny suit. Cause in the metaverse, I'm Slim Callaghan, <laughs> and I'm in this tailored Gucci suit. You just said Prada, Prada suit with well, a Gucci vest. <laughs> what a belt? What's the belt saying? Belt's Gucci, obviously. And it's the green and it's the and I and I and I, and I tuck my shit in so that everyone see. <laughs> you so your blazer, right? I tuck even tuck the blazer in. <laughs> and obviously, I'm in, I'm in I'm I'm in wide fit loafers. Some people have flat feet. Well, Some maybe people like, have wide feet. What? You're gonna discriminate against flat feet? That's crazy. Maybe, maybe it's a building. Maybe you're not trapped in it forever. It doesn't need to be multifunctional. But it's something. I'm trapped. That's that's fine. I'm trapped. I'm brain dead on the outside, trapped in the metaverse. And on that note, let's go bonus concept. Right. <laughs>